The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey everybody, this is The Baptist and the Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And this is episode four. We, if you didn't hear the intro, we are a uh, group of twins, a pair of twins, because we're twins. Um, twins. And we are discussing and exploring our faiths, sharing one with another. It's really just an organic conversation to open up dialogue. And we uh, we haven't really talked about this stuff in depth with each other through the years of our lives. So it's you're kind of exploring with us as you listen and watch. Yeah, this is you know, this is new. Everything we say to each other is new to us, and you will hear it first, you know, first hot off the presses. Yep. Real life reactions, real time, no no prep. <laughs> it's going to be no good. No prep. So um, I think these first few episodes so far have been pretty foundational. This uh, This last episode, last time, episode three was on sacred texts and that kind of lays a foundation for like where we're going to go from here um because previously i talked about how like in my beliefs we base everything off of the bible um and everything that we believe comes right out of that no exterior needed no uh, no extra biblical texts or resources needed from my point of view and that's if we have a question like hmm i wonder about this we search the scripture and uh I don't know what if you want to say anything regarding that, just as kind of like a yeah, catch up. No, yeah, this, the the suttas um, are the recorded teachings of the Buddha. Um, maybe not quite, you know, the literal, you know, words of the Buddha. Um, but you know, if if we need to expound upon a a, a topic, we can always look in depth at the. At the suttas and the commentary to see exactly what they're trying to get at. Awesome. So this uh, this this week we are going to be talking about another foundational aspect of our beliefs, and that's deity, uh, whatever that means to you. So we're gonna. I think we're just gonna jump right in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Awesome. Um, I'll I'll start first. So in uh, in my beliefs in the in a general Christian realm, um, but I'm going to boil it down to really a Baptist point of view since I am the Baptist, quote-unquote, in this in this podcast. Um, because some of the things I'm going to say not all Christians believe, not all Christians agree with. Um, disclaimer. Disclaimer, exactly. Um, These views and opinions are not so representative we, of our faith traditions. It's, Right, necessarily. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, most of the people in my circles that I know will agree probably 100% with this. Most of them will say, well, that's interesting. And some of them will say that is completely wrong and you're contradicting yourself. So, <laughs> um, so in the Baptist Christianity circle, the grace believer um, circles, we believe in one God. That's the God of the Bible. Um, and he is... Uh, he is, he is one God in three persons. 
Um, so this God, let's start just as a general, this, this one God is the almighty. He, he is the beginning and the end. He's the, uh, he's the ultimate, like everything, everything that's not him is his own creation. He's outside of his creation. Um, I say one God in three persons and it's like, what does that mean exactly? Um, the God of the Bible exists in three persons. Usually we refer to as the Trinity. Um, some people will say that it's not a, uh, a, that's more of kind of like a, almost a polytheistic view, like, oh, there's three gods, but it's one God in three bodies. Like, I think this aspect of the God of the Bible is kind of a, uh, kind of a hard concept for finite minds to understand, even though there are some aspects and some ways to describe it, especially since the Bible gives us some ideas about it. Um, I, I saw one description, like one person trying to like explain what the Trinity is. And I thought it was kind of a cool example um, because there's three parts to one God. I mean, three parts to one God and, uh, they're the same yet apart. There's the Father, there's the Son or the Word, and there's the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Um, and I saw this one example was likening it to water. And usually people say, oh yeah, water, steam, and ice. And that's actually not where I'm going because I don't really agree with that analogy. But water, it's, this, it's an essence of, water has the essence of water. Now, if you have, if you take a drop of water and separate it into three, those drops are separate, but they're of the same water. They're of the same essence, like basically the same, uh, I don't want to say existence, but the same, the same essence. It's the word that a lot of people use in trying to explain this. So they're the same, you know, they're both, they're all H2O but they're three separate drops and maybe one does have a different state of state of matter uh, than another. It doesn't really matter in this analogy, um, but they're all the same in, in the same essence. Um, they can be apart. They can be far apart, but they're still of the same essence. And that's what kind of how this person, how this one analogy was that like God is of the same essence like in all three persons of the of the godhead is one essence it's god i mean there's really no more we can expound on what the essence of god is because it's god um i'm gonna kind of uh, start a little bit on identifying some names um the name the, the bible has a lot of names to god I, actually, the Bible has a lot of names for itself, too. I used to have a really long list of everything, of every way it explains it or titles itself. Because the Bible, the word Bible isn't in the Bible. <laughs> it, it, that's a, I think it's a Latin word that means book. Um, it's kind of like a Catholic origin. Um, but like the Bible explain, or describes itself as uh, the words of God, the word of God, the um, it, it likens itself to a hammer, a stone, it's eternal, it's um, bread of life, like tons of different names. I don't even remember them all. Um, 
But with God, there's a lot of different names throughout the Bible. And even if you go back to like the, the Hebrew text, it goes, it boils down even more because in the King James Bible, the word God or Lord has different original names to it. Um, like we can start in Genesis 1.1, it's in the beginning, God. That word God was Elohim, that the Hebrew word is Elohim. Um, and that means strong one or, um, well, I mean, you could kind of, uh, translate it into different, uh, different things, but Elohim is strong one. And the interesting thing about that word is the ending, which is an I am, uh, not, not, not referring to the great I am or anything, but the suffix of I am in Hebrew im could be pluralized. That that's a, the plurality of something. Which is interesting when you look at one God having a plurality to it. It's kind of it, I see that as kind of pointing to the Trinity and Elohim, um, because uh, you know if you say like if we if we were looking at the the, uh, the angels like the cherub, a multiple a multiple a multiplicity of cherub are cherubim. There's many of them. It's kind of like adding an S in English. So Elohim, strong one, uh, the probably one of the most famous and most used name for God or Lord in the Bible is Jehovah, um, which means it really means like he that is who he is. It's the everlasting. It's like the self-existing one, basically, Jehovah. Um, there's some other there's other names used that are translated to God or Lord in the King James like El Elyon which means most high, Adonai which means master or El Olam which means everlasting God. And that kind of puts his like time frame in himself which is everlasting. Um but we see God represented by so many names and then well, well I'll get to other ones later because <laughs> there's so many um, so many different names and ways to express the persons of God or just the, the essence of God in the Bible. Um, but we see most of the time it's God, Lord. Um, later on, sometimes it's Master. Um, we'll, we'll see a little bit more. Um, but where does this whole, like, what is the Trinity? Like where, what is this Godhead consisting of? Like, what does that even mean? Well, there are some verses in the Bible that we, that we look to, um, that like first John five, seven talks about three that bears witness in heaven. It's the father, the word and the Holy, the Holy ghost or Holy spirit. I don't remember which one he used in that one. Um, and Matthew twenty eight nineteen talks about, uh, the name, I think uh, Jesus was telling his disciples to go and baptize. And this is interesting, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But he puts the name onto those three. And that kind of shows like the one that's consisting of three persons. Um, kind of interesting. But... Who are these three persons of the Godhead? And let me kind of explain that, like, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they're all God. But, like, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is not the Father. Um, 
it's it's just a it's a very strange concept like to think about how there are three persons representing one one entity um it's kind of like like i'm mark but the person that you're seeing is the person of mark but like if 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 i had three persons but i was the same i was the same entity like we just don't comprehend that i i can't comprehend that in my mind because of our my limited human uh view of things i guess um but i mean let's let's look at each person um the father and actually let me go back one more cuz i w- i did mention genesis 1 1 um in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth but later on in genesis when he's creating man what does he say it, it, the bible quotes him saying let us make him in our own image and it, god is saying let us make man in our own image who's us um i believe he's talking to the other persons of the trinity um because when you well i'll get to that part later <laughs> Um, who is the father? The father, it, to me, the father is like the main person of the Godhead. But I'm going to just kind of boil it down to like his main functions that we see represented in the Bible. And that's mainly, to me, there's two main uh, functions that God the father has. And that's establishing his will and having authority and giving authority um, to other people or other persons. So God has this will, and you read a lot about God's will or God's plan or purpose in the Bible. Some of it is, a lot of it is made known. Some of it was hidden and then made known. Um, There's all a really interesting reason why God has a will. And it's not just arbitrarily because he wants something to happen. He has a will for a specific purpose. He has a plan for a specific purpose. And I'll probably get that into that when we talk about angels or something like that. Or the spiritual realms or something. Um, but the father has a will that he's exact that he is exacting. And he has authority to exact that will. Mainly because God is the is the creator of all things and he has his creation is uh is subject to his will um so the father i think in in the bible it really talks about god the father that person as being an invisible god dwelling in an unapproachable light like men can't see this light and even when you look at like some Um, principles of like where God dwells he's usually dwelling on some throne and most of the time you see there are these angelic beings called cherubim that cover him with their wings and there once was one that covered the top called Lucifer but we'll get to him later Um, but he's in in, he dwells in an unapproachable light and uh, that light is uh, most likely what what we call his glory it's that very effulgent unapproachable undescribable light um and the father um, again he's described as kind of being invisible but he does have an image and let's talk about that image a little bit there's a second person of the godhead 
called the sun. Or we see in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning, all things were created by the Word. This Word that we see is Jesus. Um, it even I think somewhere in Revelation, it talks about how he... Uh, he has a banner that has his name and that name is the word of God. Like on this banner that Jesus has when he's coming in his second return in his second coming, like it, his banner literally says the word of God and that's his name. Like that's one of Jesus's name is the word, but Jesus is that son, that second member of the, the Godhead. Um, and through John 1, 1, and other passages, we see that Jesus was actually the creator of th- all things. God used that person of the Godhead to actually create things. So Jesus not only was, uh, not only is that son, but the creator. Um, and there are some verses that talk about him forming the earth with his very hands. And he sculpted and he measured things out um, in some heavenly measurement way or something. But very literal, too. Uh, Again, my approach to the Bible is very literal. So if we can take something literally, we're going to take it literally. So Jesus formed things with his, or the son formed things with his hands. He measured things out. He, uh, you know, he measured out the stars. He spanned the heavens um, like a tabernacle. Um, and that's that's the son. Um, before... Jesus came as a man, was born in the world as a man. He was, uh, he was existent from the very beginning. I mean, just with God, he's eternal. They don't, God doesn't have a beginning or an end. Um, he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, um, as Jesus says. Um, and, and I, I think I hear a lot of controversy like, well, Jesus isn't God. Like, how can you th- equate him with God the Father? Or, and there's a lot to that. Um, the Bible talks about, um, well, let's, let's look at Jesus real quick or the Son in a, in a like Old Testament view, I guess. In the Old Testament, he never was called Jesus, even though the Hebrew name Jesus is Yeshua, that literally means salvation or like God saves. And that was actually used literally in the Hebrew Bible. The word Yeshua is in there. Um, And that's, that kind of shows me that it's pointing to uh, a prophesied Messiah. Um, So this son existed before the world began, you know, he's eternal. Throughout the Old Testament, we see some pieces of him, though we don't know it at the time that that's, that's the Son of God, that's the Word of God, um, which is going to become Jesus. Well, in God's will, God's plan, he, by the, by the Spirit, the third member of, of the Godhead, um, they take uh, the Virgin Mary and um, and uh, God basically uh, puts Jesus 
into her by way of like a, a conception by the Holy Spirit. Really, really strange stuff if, you, if you're not familiar with that. And basically, uh, Jesus, as he's conceived and as he grows, he's completely removed from like the bloodline of man. And he's conceived of a woman with basically God's blood in it, if you will, in him. So this, by some strange miracle and working of God, God becomes a man in the flesh. And the, and the, the Bible actually talks about how Jesus' experience on the earth perfected God. Not that, he, not that it made him sinless, because perfection in the Bible doesn't mean sinlessness. It means completeness. And God finally actually experiences what it's like to be man in the flesh. And the, the Bible says tempted on every side. Like he was tempted in every way possible as a fleshly human man. And he had to, he got to experience our experience in the feet of, um, of a man himself. And Jesus is usually described as being hundred percent man and hundred percent God. It's like this great contradiction of creation. Um, and the Bible talks about how this, this son of God, that was Jesus was made lower than angels, a little lower than the angels, which angels are pretty powerful, like, uh, angelic beings in the spiritual realm. And God, made himself lower than that and he was made in the form of a servant and obedient to death so he was made into a mortal body and it was just it's just very a very strange thing uh, a strange concept to see that this eternal god had did that um in the old testament i think we can see some prophecies about jesus about this messiah that was to come and the is Israel had this prophecy about a coming king to set up a literal kingdom on the earth because they were to inherit the earth and and the the Bible prophesies like the arm of the Lord um, they prophesy him in in the in the terms of like the arm of the Lord there's one that's kind of there's a verse that's kind of famous that says for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor almighty god everlasting father prince of peace um so those are all like the titles and names given unto this in, unto this child this son of god um and he, i mean even in the i think in the in the early new testament they call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. Um, and obviously, they, uh, I think Gabriel told Joseph to name him Jesus, which is, you know, Jehovah saves or Yahweh saves. And actually, Jesus is just another way to say Joshua. Like his literal name was really Joshua when it boils down to it. Yeshua is just a Joshua. But. I think through way of the of the translation of the Greek, we chose Jesus instead of Joshua to separate the two because Joshua was actually an Old Testament person that was a kind of a, a picture of Jesus to come. Um, and Jesus, this the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, 
um, obviously he's not the father because he talks about how his father sent him, that he is um, doing his father's will, and that his father gave him authority to do these things on earth. So, like, somehow the father's will and authority, Jesus was able to um, to gain from the father. And, I mean, you see Jesus praying to the father. Um, you see the that weird, strange relationship in the Trinity where where they can communicate and like Jesus as a man gets to pray to the father. Um, and even ultimately at one point, the father completely separates himself from the son. And that's when Jesus on the cross says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and usually when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he's wondering, it's to make whoever's listening think about it. Kind of like when you look in a, in Genesis, you see that a strange verse that I, I've i learned that it's strange because you read it because you read it and you just pass by it because of tradition. Um, but it says the voice of or Adam heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. It's like, oh, how can a, the voice, how can a voice walk? But I think that's really pointing to uh, towards the voice being the word the word of God. I think that was a pre-incarnate Jesus, if you will. I think the theological term is a theophany. It's like a pre-incarnate son of God or Jesus. And he asks, hey, Adam, why are you hiding? Obviously, God knows why he's hiding because God is God is all-knowing. He knows all things um, and he's all-powerful. So when he asks questions, he's asking to make someone think like, why are you hiding Adam? And it made Adam think like, that's a good question. <laughs> um, and you see a lot of like pre-incarnate uh, appearances, appearances might appear as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament as well. Um, so that's the, in a very tight nutshell, that's like the son or the word or Jesus. Um, he's the creator. He's also the savior. Um, so he, he, obviously he came to earth. Part of that reason was to die. One, it was for Israel, um, Israel's, uh, Israel's, uh, Israel's redemption. But that's separate from like the whole mystery that he hid before the world began, and not until he revealed his plan to Paul that they realized, oh yeah, Jesus died for the sins of everyone to so we can be fellow heirs with Christ. So in this day and age, Jesus, the, the man, died for our sins. And he is now, when Jesus died on the cross, his, his body went in the tomb, his spirit went back up to heaven, um, and his soul went down into hell. And we'll, we'll talk about like what exactly he did in that in another episode, because it's very interesting when you see like, because people might know like the general story and just think about it in an abstract way, but things that happened in the Bible, like is, are described very real. And after he came up from hell, he ascended into heaven with uh, with a new 
to get basically to like get a new body. And he actually came back down for like 40 days in that new body. And then he went back up in the clouds. And that's when like the apostles were like, Whoa, where's he going? And he's like floating away in a cloud. Um, and he's been there. He's been in, uh, heaven at the right hand of the father ever since. Um, and waiting for future things to come. Um, and that's another, that's another topic. But when he ascended, he did leave something for the apostles at that time um, and something for us in this age. And that's the third person of the Godhead, which is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Um, There's a lot of descriptions of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. He's called the Comforter. Um, uh, In the Old Testament, you see some interesting like prayers from like, um, King Solomon, or I, or it might have been David. Like, don't don't remove your spirit from me. In the Old Testament, this Godhead would be able to fill a person, um, to make them do incredible things, or to give them wisdom of of some sort. Um, but I'm gonna just kind of uh, focus on who is the Spirit, and especially in these days in this age. Um, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, I think it's probably the most neglected person of the Godhead in Christianity today. Um, and sometimes wrongly emphasized in some ways too. Um, but in, in this day and age, um, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, that, that can be likened to a God's breath. Um, he, he's kind of a, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, in some in some instances, he's a messenger, um, and he he even says like I've sent someone. Like I think he was talking to Peter at one point um, in in the book of Acts. Like I I sent them unto I sent these people unto you. Like he he can uh, communicate people communicate different things, um, and obviously like in in the Old Testament, he would be able to like fill someone and like maybe in one case it made someone. Uh, maybe gave someone some powers or like the ability to run supernaturally or some, some kind of weird stuff like that. Um, and even in the, uh, in the, in the days of the apostles and in the book of acts, he gave them gifts like the abilities to speak tongues, which is the ability to speak and everyone in different languages will hear you in their own language. That's the actual gift of tongues. Um, or, uh, healing, he would, he sent, Jesus said he would send his spirit, not only as a comforter, but to give the apostles power to heal and even do more like greater miracles than Jesus did on the earth. And that's what he told them. It's like, you're going to do greater things than me. Um, and that's through the Holy spirit. Um, in this day and age, when someone, uh, becomes a believer when someone gets saved as we call it when they when they entrust their their eternal lives with in the lone fact that Jesus died on the cross for them and their sins are paid for the spirit actually indwells the believer and the bible says it seals them into the body of Christ unto the day of redemption so like we see that sealing as an in, immovable like position in the body of Christ, which is the church of this age, the the 
conglomerate of of uh, believers, if you will. Um, and that's his job today is sealing us. And there's actually a little bit of uh, talk about baptism is that the Holy Spirit baptizes believers into the body of Christ. Um, and the Holy Spirit, that's one of his functions, I think, is is baptizing. Whatever that means, well, that's for another episode. Um, but he, people in like the, in Jesus's days were baptized with the Holy Ghost. Right now, today in this day and age, we're baptized by the Holy Ghost. And that's another one of those weird by and with like differences. Um, but the Holy Spirit is a real, a very real person of the Godhead. He can be grieved. He can, uh, he can be, uh, I mean, different, different like actions or acts of a believer can grieve him. Um, one of his main functions these days is to, um, when we pray, he actually makes intercession in that prayer and helps us with our infirmities because sometimes we don't know how to pray or what to pray for. And he actually makes intercession. Some people see that as like a translation. It's like, oh, actually he means this father. Um, but I think it, it, in some ways it can, it actually is like the Holy Spirit knows our needs and says, hey, like let's like prayers to the Godhead, like prayers to the father. It's like, this is what they actually need. Like his, he kind of communicates. And like in previous podcasts, uh, previous episodes, uh, the spirit works within man to understand the things of God. Um, so man has a dead spirit naturally and the spirit of God indwells and like, and makes the man, the spirit of man alive and it communicates the things of God through the word. Um, and like last time when, when I talked about how the spirit does a lot with the, the word of God, the Bible, like the scripture and the revealed stuff, like he works in all of that and the working in man's spirit, uh, is, is part of that, like keeping the word illuminated or preserved or whatever. So, uh, I think that's really what the Holy Spirit does in this day and age it's the indwelling part of that like he's always with us jesus isn't in our hearts as like some christian circles say like ask jesus in your heart it's like what does that mean no jesus is at the right hand of the father right now in in the third heaven like not right here but he it is his spirit it is god's spirit and god's spirit indwells us and he also works on those that are not indwelled kind of an external working or pressure, if you will, um, influences. Um, but that's really, um, I mean, that's a, that's a whole nother topic as well, especially in like the, the spiritual realm. But those are like the three persons of the Godhead. Um, God is, God is a real person. He's not just a, some like, thought or idea or essence or something he's a real he's a real entity outside of time and space um yet he interjects himself into time and space um and he deals with his creation he's not just 
standing back watching it all go around. He has real workings in his creation, if that makes sense. Um, but I think that's that really kind of boils down the deity aspect of the Bible and of uh, of the Baptist and Christian belief. So would it be would it be fair to say that the 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 tr- the Trinity, if that's the phraseology you would use, um, <laughs> would you would it be fair to say it it's almost like two like three different like dimensions of you know the one god or is dimension to i don't know um i i think it depends on what you mean by dimension not like spatial dimension but like qualities almost in a way in a way but they're very they're three separate very real persons um, that work in one God. Okay. If that makes sense. It's, yeah. It, this is a really weird analogy, but it's almost, it would it be almost like, you know, you were working with a company or something, you know, and you were contacted by three different departments, but it's still the same company. Almost, almost. But a lot of people see that as uh I forgot what the term was for it, but like, it's like, oh, God is like working in the father in one spot and then the son and like he decided. And it, I mean, it's not really that because departments exist at the same time, but some people see like the father, like then turns into the son and then he kind of shows himself as a spirit separately. Um, I mean, the department one's kind the department one kind of makes sense. I came up with anal- this analogy a while ago when I did a Bible study and I saw the three parts of the Trinity as the three dimensions of space, like length, width, and height. Like you, like at that time I always said like, you can't have length and width without the height. I don't know if it's true. Like if you can't have the son and the father without the spirit, maybe you can, maybe you can't. I mean, those things are, three eternal existing persons of one godhead so like it's space it's all space but it consists of length width and height and then i mean you can get into theoretical dimension stuff anyway so could you how about this would it would how you define it like whether it's the father the son or the holy spirit would it would it determine its definition by its by its qualities or like by the like what purpose it is playing or serving at a specific time like i don't know kind of like it defines itself by what it does almost yeah almost i mean they definitely do have like specific um uses or like I don't want to say jobs or duties. That's that's a little uh, that's a little trite in like an expression. But like, they definitely do have their functions. They function differently. Because um, like you see, like the father has his will, and he's using the son to do like, okay, you like the son creates 
everything. Like, it's not the Father speaking things into existence or forming things with his hands. It's actually Jesus that does that. Um, and then the Spirit, you know, communicates differently than this. And, like, Jesus can't, like, run to everyone around and say, like, like, oh, I'll go into your heart. Like, that's the Spirit, like, indwelling, like, and, like, I'm filled, like, the Spirit's dwelling in me, but it's also dwelling in, like, millions of other believers, like, at once. So, yeah, definitely different functions. Okay. And, like, the Father can't dwell in me or I'll burn up and die immediately, probably, because, like, he dwells in the light that no man can approach. So, like, I can't literally approach him in this state because, like, flesh and blood cannot enter into his presence. Um, even so much so that I, I'm pretty sure it's more of a, like the, the son, like a pre-incarnate Jesus showed up, showed himself to Moses, but he said, you can only see my backside or you'll die. So like he shrouded himself in a cloud and then like, uh, Moses hid himself into a cleft of the rock of a rock. And it's like, okay, you can look now. And like, he sees the backside of, of God's like physicality um and even in the new testament uh jesus says like his uh, his disciples are like why can't you show us the father and he's like if you look at me you you see the father like he is the expressed image of the father like if that's what the father looked like that's what he would look like and i mean it makes sense because when he created adam that was in his image and adam was a man he probably looked a lot like jesus um, just because that was in the likeness of himself and then Jesus was the express image of God. So, and then, you know, the, the Bible talks about how like he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Jesus. Um, and Jesus, Jesus says a lot of things regarding the father. Like I go into my father for the father's greater than I, um, I don't know if that's positionally or like maybe the Godhead compared to the man Jesus was greater. But then he says like, I and my father are one. Like that's what he says. Um, one thing I didn't really touch on was the name Jehovah. You know, uh, he is that he, who he is. Um, and Jehovah, like Jesus is Jehovah. Um, he even says like before Abraham was, I am. Like, he was kind of using weird tenses in that sentence because Jesus was eternal, or is eternal. And it's like, before Abraham was, I am. And he was, like, telling the Pharisees that, like, oh, yeah, when I was dealing with Abraham, it's like, and they're like, wow, that's blasphemy. You're you're a man. But um, Jesus referred to himself as I am. Like, when the, uh, when the Romans came looking for him right before his crucifixion, it's like, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And like that word was so powerful that it knocked down those Romans. Like they flew back just because he uttered, I am. It's like, whoa, what in the world? It's like, are you Jesus? And he said it again. It's like, let's try that again. Um, it's just like the, the words and the name, like has a very powerful meaning. And part of the Bible is that words do have a very powerful force to them. I guess you could say. Um, and just like when Jesus, Jesus comes back, he has that, that the word of the Lord and like his very, 
his very uh, voice can, you know, fight a battle like it's a sword proceeding out of his mouth. Um, and just the very words itself are like powerful. So like Jesus saying that he is the I am, he's Jeho- he's the Jehovah God. Like Jehovah is the son of God. Um, and then there's the father. Okay. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's a very hard concept to try to describe because it's just, I don't think no, anyone I mean, can fully understand it. Of course. I mean, it's, it's a topic that people have been discussing and debating for, for years. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think I have any, any more questions other than the ones I've asked. Well, I appreciate your questions. Yeah. So what about you? Deity. What's that mean? Deity in Buddhism. Um, so it might come to a surprise to a lot of people um, who don't know too much about Buddhism. Um, because Buddhism is one of the, you know, one of the, I don't know, four, fourth or fifth most, you know, popular religion in the world. To find out that Buddhism is a non-theistic religion or spirituality or practice or whatever, however you want to define it. Um, and that is to say that in Buddhism there is no real concept of a, a creator god or a, you know, a, a, a being or entity in charge uh, or you know, calling the shots or whatever. Um, and it might also shock people that, that the Buddha is not viewed as a God or a deity of any sort. Um, so it's, you know, sometimes, sometimes Buddhism feels like the black sheep of religion because it's like, oh, well, we don't have a, we don't have a God. We don't have, you know, a a deity or anything of that sort. Um, I mean, and, and in classic Buddhist texts, they do talk about gods. They talk about, um, they talk about devas, which are not exactly the creator gods that you think of as being, you know, the foundational spirit of real, of a specific religion. Um, but these devas, you know, it comes from a Vedic landscape I was going to ask that yeah of tradition so so in the suttas uh, there are stories of the Buddha um, talking about devas talking to devas even some of the more like popular like famous like Hindu uh, deities like Brahma or uh, I mean that's the only one that's coming to mind right now that shows up in uh, in the suttas, but and the the Buddhist approach to these to these devas is that they are subject to samsara, just like everything else. Um, in Buddhist traditional Buddhist cosmology, I think I mentioned this in the last episode or so, or the episode before. But the Buddha talks about these different, like, 
these different realms. And generally, there's like six of six realms. Um, the the human realm being kind of in the middle between, you know, the hell realms, hungry ghost realms, animals, and then humans, and then like jealous gods or sometimes demigods, and then the gods. Um. And all beings in all realms are subject to the samsaric cycle of suffering, um, which includes birth, death, and rebirth as well. Um, and so there's no... And, and that, that is to say they are subject to impermanence and unreliability. And so... Because there's no creator god uh, in Buddhism, the the general uh, basis for the idea of like creation, in a sense, kind of revolves around what we call a dependent origination, um, which is which kind which is which kind of does describe dukkha and the cycle it creates perpetuating this perpetuating samsara so like it, it i think it usually starts with ignorance ignorance of the four noble truths of suffering of unreliability and not self and impermanence like misunderstanding those which is ignorance or delusion leads into the rest. I think there's 12 links in the dependent origination cycle. Um, and you know, it starts ignorance and goes into, uh, different things like craving and that leads to becoming and birth and aging, illness, sickness, dissatisfaction, and death and then goes back into rebirth and the cycle goes on and on and so and this this kind of also plays into i mean kind of it does it plays into the you know the natural law of cause and effect that we call kamma or karma and yeah. and this kind of tie this idea of karma um, it, it really plays on your intentions and actions and uh, what you do. And so what you do and what you say and what you think, you know, are like seeds that you plant. And they will bear fruit. Whatever kind of seed you plant will bear a different kind of fruit. So an, uh, an unskillful seed, for example, um, will bear unskillful fruit. You know, it's, you know, it... It's kind of, kind of common sense that you know if you, if you think you know, angry thoughts, you're gonna be angry, and things, th things will result in that. That will probably not be good, you know. Um, and this idea plays into this, this broader cosmological view of death of death and rebirth in like a classic buddhist cosmology and in, in which you know if you do good things you will you know reap 
sweeter fruits, um, you know, and that means being born into a realm with less pain, with less disappointment, and that might be, you know, defined as a heavenly realm where the gods dwell. But it's not permanent, uh, so it is subject to change, and it is generally, it is generally, like, understood that if you are born into the god realm, you will live for a very, a very, very long time, like eons, um, and then at the end of your life, you you might experience regret it's like oh man i just wasted this time you know just indulging in these pleasures when i could have been practicing the dhamma like oh man um and it's in simplistic terms it's like you kind of use up all your good karma you know all the all the good fruits you have borne from all the good 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 seeds you have planted uh, are are used up and you generally are, you know, you generally fall into a, a lower, a lower realm. Um, so you will be, you know, reborn in the human realm uh, or lower if you really mess up in those realms. Um, so I have a question about those like realms and this might go more to like a cosmology episode, but like yeah. in those like heavenly realms, if you will, like in the God realms or whatever, like I'm I'm guessing it is a, like very real, but like, is there any kind of interaction to the lower realms or even higher realms in those kind of situations? Or first of all, there's the question of like how real are these realms? Um, how definitive? Um, I know some modern Western Buddhists will say, you know, they are a kind of a state of mind if you will um and so you know some people will say oh you know you can look at a politician or you know a billionaire and it's like oh yeah there's they're definitely like a like in the in the demigod realm or in the hungry ghost realm or something or you know in the hell realm where it's like pain and anguish all the time it's like oh you know you can really point to people who might be experiencing that. But like another thing is like one of the realms is like the animal realm, which is a very real thing. But you know, you can also say like, Oh yeah, those, those people are like totally in the animal realm. But like, but a lot of, a lot of Buddhists would argue with that interpretation, that kind of figurative interpretation. Um, and the reality of these god realms and hell realms aren't really important or or you know central to the practice um and i mean so many buddhists will have so many different opinions as to whether how literal is the rebirth cycle um like but i'm not gonna adhere to as any one idea of it because they're just ideas until you fully 
you know, maybe there will be a point in the practice where it, something really makes sense. It's like, oh, of course. Right, right. But I'm not there. Um, but what was the other part of the, that question? I think that kind of covers, like, how, like, um, is oh, there any, any interaction, interaction between, like, I guess that was more of, like, if those are, like, literal, like, realms of existence, like, is there interactions between, like, the God realm and the realm that we're in right now? Or yeah, I mean, so like animal realm and human realm obviously are very close. Right. Um, and in the suttas, there are stories of the Buddha talking to people in the god realms, and and I could see like an interpretation of the hungry ghosts, like being like the ghosts we might see or something. Like yeah, and actually, in a lot of practices, um, I think especially in like Tibetan practice, um. The burning of incense uh, can all can be an offering to the hungry ghosts because these hungry ghosts. I love the imagery they use for these hungry ghosts because, um, in I I can't remember exactly where where this description comes from. I don't know if it's like a Tibetan text or something, but their mouths are as as like narrow as needles, and but their stomachs are like as bloated and large as continents. And they can only eat like disgusting, gross stuff like pus and blood, and so they're hungry ghosts because they will, they can never be satisfied. And it's kind of like the epitome of craving, you know, like you're always wanting delicious foods, but you can't. You can only find this disgusting stuff, and you will never be able to eat enough. And so sometimes the burning vents incense is like, oh, it's something they can, they can, you know consume feasibly and it's something pleasant um it's a it's a it's a fun exercise a fun uh, imagery and story but i think for me one of the most important aspects of that of that uh cosmology is kind of pointing at the fact that the the human realm is in middle and so you have this extreme of hell realms and god realms of of complete pain and agony and you know a, a, a realm of pleasure and we're in middle where we experience both pain and pleasure and i mean the buddha the buddha often calls the path to enlightenment the middle way the, the path between extremes. So what better realm to be born in than the human realm where you can experience both pleasure and pain and work with that to, you know, to, to awaken to the, to, to reality. Um, but so yeah, there's getting back to the topic of, of deity. So in short, the, the God realm is purported to be, you know, a thing within Buddhism, but it is impermanent, just like anything else. Um, and we will probably get into some of that later on in a different episode, but I want to turn this kind of, uh, Oh, I actually do want to touch on one thing. Um, I found this, uh, fascinating, um, in the first book of the Tipitaka, or of the Sutta Pitaka, the Diganakaya, the the long discourses, in the very first discourse, in fact, 
there's uh i didn't read the whole thing i just found like a summary uh pertaining to the topic of of god so i was kind of curious what this would say and this sutta the buddha tackles uh 62 different like very popular philosophical ideas of, of the time and one of them um i thought was interesting because it's very specific to a, uh he tackles the idea of a creator god and also a a uh I don't know, an avatar, like a human avatar of, of the, of the creator God. And I thought what, what he said was kind of interesting. Um, and he uses, uh, Maha Brahma, the, the great Brahma, you know, the, 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 the top God in Vedic, uh, Vedic pantheon, um, you know, the creator God. And so, the Buddha talks about Mahabrahma and talks about why it is that there's this this appearance of what looks like a creator. And he says, like, Mahabrahma is this is this Deva born in the Deva realm, in the God realm. But just like any any unenlightened uh being he he experiences ignorance and delusion and uh kind of a misunderstanding you know and so he misunderstands himself um he forgets he forgets his he doesn't remember any of his past lives he doesn't remember oh yeah i too am subject to the samsaric cycle and he because of his great power he's like oh yeah i'm the creator the creator god and what the buddha says is in his next life or the next i don't know i don't know if it's the immediate life after that um he's reborn as a human who because of his past life as being this deva in this deva realm he believes himself to be uh, the creator incarnate into a human body and and yeah i he he tackles that that idea and kind of puts it into a into a context of samsara and the uh, and karma hmm. but i thought that was kind of kind of interesting that and i kind of want to go back and read the, the rest of that sutta to see what other views he touches on hmm. um but yeah, that's. I thought that. I thought that was interesting. Interesting, and I thought you would probably find that interesting too. I do, and I think, like, I know you're. I know the uh, comparison that like, it's trying to bring, but like, it made me think of something else, and like, especially even what you said earlier made me think of something that I can compare to, um, a biblical view, and that's like God realms and hell realms. Obviously, in like Christianity, we have like heaven and hell but um i guess the surprising thing is like in christianity especially from my point of view like not only do i believe in the one almighty god um but i also believe in lower gods and it's like what what does that mean like well you're a polytheist or something um in in the garden of eden uh 
this serpent that in in the book of the revelation we find out that that old serpent is actually satan lucifer which was um one of the one of the high cherubs um that fell um but he told adam and eve and there's a huge like explanation to like how like what this all means and there's a lot more to it but he says like if you like he questions what god told them like he starts questioning god's word and he actually changes what God said to them. It's like, Oh yeah, God didn't say that. God said this, like you can eat the fruit of this tree. Um, and if you eat the fruit of this tree, you will know good and evil as the, as, as a God. Um, and Adam and Eve didn't say what, what's a God? Like, what do you mean a God? Cause they knew God, but they didn't know what a God was. Like it's a little G God. And like, it's not the God, it's a God and a God in from my biblical point of view is the fallen angels that rebelled against God. And in, in the grand scheme of things, they were kicked out of the, the third heaven, the high, the, you know, God's realm of heaven. And they were kicked into the second and the first heaven, which is earth and the universe. And they were like, there was something about the earth that they, that the angels wanted. And, Adam and Eve knew what those gods were because they were on the earth. Like the fallen angels were on the earth. Um, and I believe to an extent, I believe in, uh, in like, especially the ancient gods of like, uh, maybe some ancient pantheons like Thor and Odin and everything and, uh, different pantheons because the book does talk about how there were, um, these these fallen angels did have some physical relationship with man with mankind and were able to um produce a race of men of renown and mighty men on the earth and how they were very uh they were very powerful they were like the giants and they were able to uh to become these men of renown and there's some extra biblical texts that I'll get into in another podcast that like can historically explain some of these things as well. And like these gods are like the fallen angels. And when you were talking about that, um, that, uh, Brahma, what was it? What was the title of Maha Brahma? Maha Brahma. Um, I was thinking not of, God, like the God of the Bible, I was actually thinking of Lucifer because he Mm. had this delusion. He forgot who he actually was basically. And is like, I'm going to become like God. Like I'm going to lift my throne because he had a throne and he wanted to lift it higher than, than the God, than God Jehovah. Um, and he wanted to become more powerful than God. And I think he forgot his place. Um, and he forgot who he was and he will actually in the future, he will actually incarnate into a man, uh, Lucifer will. And I think it's a grand delusion in his mind. Um, and the, that kind that stuff kind of kicks off the rest of this master plan. Um, so that, that was kind of what I, a comparison that I saw in that, um, in, in that topic that you brought up. It was kind of yeah, I like, I like that, like, grand delusion. Uh, yeah, I mean, Buddhism has a lot to say about delusion. So. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> that, yeah. 
But so I wanted to tackle another one one other topic about uh, deity because we've I've discussed like what you know the you know the the role that gods play in Buddhism, mm -hmm. um, and you know how like, what we've seen of them uh, in Buddhism. And I mean, the role that gods play in Buddhism is, I mean, in short, none, but, <laughs> um, so then what does, what does, what is, who's the Buddha, you know? And because, you know, when, when we said this episode is going to be about deity, it's like, okay, deity as a concept, but then also deity as in what I kind of saw it as like what other people would view our religion's deity and that would be the buddha right people would say oh yeah you worship the buddha yeah um i had someone at work the other day who had asked what i was and so i was like well i'm buddhist it's like oh do you so you pray to muhammad and I'm like, well <laughs> no that's islam that's like about a thousand years off like <laughs> i had a completely wow. different part of the world um but nice try um so who is the Buddha? Um, this, uh, the stories we have of the Buddha, he was a he was a, a man born in North India, what is now Nepal. Um, and what was so special about him, though? Um, because he wasn't of he wasn't divine. He wasn't you know uh he wasn't he didn't have anything divinely revealed to him um he but he, what so what's his deal you know uh so the buddha by his own means had discovered a way to liberate himself from dukkha from suffering from ignorance uh and that's why they they say he's awakened or he's enlightened. He's awakened to the truth of suffering, to the truth of dukkha, and and it's through countless countless uh, lifetimes, as the stories say, that he has generated the you know the, the the appropriate karma um cultivated the specific conditions in which to lead to awakening um which is no small feat you know it's uh it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot of work um and i mean you'll hear it you'll hear it in buddhism it, it takes many lifetimes of of practice of the dhamma to 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 awaken um and the the peculiar thing about the buddha though is he, he has done it uninstructed he has discovered it on his own and so that's you know that's a pretty big thing um he's not the only one too uh there's he's known as uh Samasambuddha, the you know, in short, it's like he's he's the one who found it on his own and um and has decided and has decided to teach it to teach this way, and you know, you have 
you have other people who have discovered the path to awakening on their own um but have not decided to teach and those are i think those are called pacheka buddhas and i mean buddha is just one who is awake one who's wakened so this you know this can happen anywhere in any you know any time in general but the buddha you know has special significance because he is discovered this path on his own and is now teaching it and so i mean the goal of buddhism is kind of in a way to become buddhas i mean not kind of in a way it is the way it is the the goal of, is to become awakened and your you know one's awakening is not really any different than the buddhas except for the fact that you have someone teaching you this uh, you have someone who's laid out the foundation of how to do this. So, you know, it's not as hard, you know, just randomly discovering it. On, not randomly, but, you know, methodically, very slowly, gradually finding it out on your own. Um, and, you know, the, the the classic Buddhist traditions say that, like, you know, you know, the Buddha taught the taught the path to awakening and eventually, like everything else subject to impermanence, his teachings will disappear eventually. And then eventually, sometime after that, another Buddha will appear. Uh, someone who has learned it on their own, uh, uninstructed. And they'll start teaching. And so a, 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 a Buddha is not a solitary circumstance i guess it's happened before it'll happen again and it's not like it's you know i don't know i think some people can make it very mystical and metaphysical seeming but it's a path it's a practice that we undertake to help ourselves to help free ourselves and from from the delusional uh, perspective uh, that will that all that ultimately ends leaves us distraught and dissatisfied and confused um, suffering always leads to more confusion more delusion mm -hmm. um, so yeah he is a he is a teacher he he is one who has who has awakened to the reality of of impermanence and suffering and teaches so like you know we could simply say he is the teacher but that kind of misses the mark because he's it's a little more extraordinary than that you know it's it's like someone <laughs> this is a weird analogy but it's like someone who discovered algebra like discovered oh my gosh look at this like these this method of of numbers you know like you can do these things with numbers this is wild and everyone's like we've never seen that before <laughs> um because it's just understanding how uh something about this world works and you know numbers are fairly fairly solid you know reliable things to work with um and so is so is awakening, you know, so is, so is, and that's kind of funny to say that, like, 
it's reliable because like unreliability you know <laughs> um but it but it is like you can you can use condition phenomena to really learn the 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 truth of condition phenomena i guess that's the only way to do it really direct experience um i can something you said earlier um and i can i can almost like because you're like the buddha learned it like just figured it out and it it's a little easier like following his teachings basically um but I almost want to say like in for some people it might be harder because like they're trying to follow this and like maybe they just don't get it or something and it makes me think of this this episode of Stargate Atlantis <laughs> spoiler alert for if anyone is watching that um but in in Stargate SG1 they find this uh this person that's very Buddhist based, like they base a lot of things off of religion and there's this way they can ascend to a higher realm. And one of the main characters does in the, in the first uh, series and in the other series, Atlantis, someone's dying and it's like, you could just ascend and you don't have to die. And he's very like, okay, just tell me how to do it and I'll do it. Um, and he never does because he can't really fully grasp it. He's just like too logical about it. It's like, okay, nope doesn't work <laughs> yeah i mean that's part of the practice is setting is you know is almost a deconditioning of because what, what you're what we're dealing with in in buddhist practice is habitual patterns of mind that we have cultivated um in this lifetime and you know as we as we would say in past lifetimes um the 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 karma that it's it's a it's a in my in my mind it's a rolling wave that never stops as long as you keep adding to it um and it's yeah it's some people might not be able to grasp it um it, the conditions are just not right um, I think I, I can really, uh, I can really relate to that in like the realm of Christianity because what we teach is so unique. There are some people that will sit under the teaching of this for years and still not get it because they're so deep in another tradition. And we're like, in our circles, we're like very like, don't get traditional about things because you're going to get stuck in it. And like mm. some of those traditions might not be right. Um, and some people like they will sit in the, in the, you know, the deeper studies and just like, I just don't get it. Where like, I was never really steeped in tradition. So like things they talk about, I can grasp that concept. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that makes sense. Or like maybe other things like, yeah, I don't really agree with that because like maybe I, I see something from the Bible a different way, but people are so set in their, traditions we call it the tradition of man that it just you're gonna we're gonna have to chisel a little bit more until we can get through yeah i mean in buddhism there's a list of 10 fetters that keep you bound to samsara uh, as dramatically as it sounds and i mean one of them is traditions like rituals and traditions mm. that will like if you're clinging to those you're stuck and another one is views 
if you cling to views and this is like philosophical views you know you're gonna be stuck you have to be able to you know unstick yourself you know non non attachment you know you got to be able to let go of views not you don't have to throw them away but you can't be clinging to them loosen them up a little bit so there are yeah so it can get some air <laughs> yeah it's like the there's a i will probably use this analogy a lot too for that kind of that kind of non-attachment but um it's like there's the idea of clinging and you hold it tight and there's the idea of of uh, the flip side of aversion which is like dropping it to the ground you know nah. but the non-attachment is being able to open your palm and hold it there without clinging to it you're not identifying with it anymore you're not you're not prescribing a you're not prescribing a way to identify with it or to it. Uh, you're just letting it be what it is. And so with views, it, it's, this, it's the same way. You know, you if you cling to it and identify it and identify with it and you're like, yeah, that's that's me. That's part of me or that's that's a view I hold you're gonna you're gonna be stuck hmm. but interesting but yeah i mean sometimes i think like the the buddhist path is like it, it's not a mandatory path you know like you know we've been in 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 the buddhist view we've been we've been on this on this ferris wheel literally forever going through rebirth after rebirth of samsara of disappointment and unreliability and you know what we're gonna be on it for a while you know we're gonna be on it forever still you know and but what the buddha offers is like a way off um and some people to some people that's appealing to others you know have at it whatever if you want to if you want to stay on samsara you can (laughs) but if you want to, if you get tired and want a way off. <laughs> well, I think your perspective of deity really, I think I saw it coming, but not like you described it. So I, that was kind of, uh, that was interesting. Um, I do see Buddhism, like I was saying this to someone like a while ago, like I see Buddhism as like a, like the least religious religion out there. Like, it's not really like a religion, um, but and I think the way you describe it kind of like helps me understand that a little better. Yeah, I mean a lot. I mean this is like you. This is an ongoing like debate within Buddhism itself. Is it a religion? Blah blah. blah. And I mean you have you have traditions and people within Buddhism who do worship the Buddha as like as a deity and pray to him and everything. Um, in my perspective, that's not, that's not quite Dhamma, but, um, but yeah, like it's, is it a religion? Is it a philosophy? Is it 
a way of life? Is it a psychology? And my answer is yes, but no. Right. <laughs> to all of the above. Like, right. Yeah, that kind of goes like with, with my circles. Like we don't consider it a religion. Like we're not religious. We're, it's a, there's a relationship involved with it. And like really the one true religion is Judaism. Um, and that was for a different time, not today. Um, and like, so yeah, religion is a very loose term. Um, so I think, yeah, talking like us in the room, like maybe we don't even consider this or talk about religion. <laughs> like in, in depending on definitions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like basic sense though. Yeah. Like, you know, defining a Buddhist practice to me, the best, the best would be, it's it's dhamma. It is like <laughs> that's it. Like, uh, and what that means, you know, you can extrapolate a lot, a lot more. But you know, in in more popular terms, I do like, I do like the sentiment of a way of life, because it is like how you live that matters. Um. And probably for surprising reasons, but, but also I like the idea of philosophy, although it kind of goes, it kind of, kind of contradicts, not contradicts, but kind of doesn't really fit with the whole idea of, of non-attachment to views. But psychology is also a really good one because Buddhism is like a really early ancient psychology, Hmm. um, that delves into how the mind works from this kind of different perspective as to what modern psychology uh, will theorize and map out. Hmm. But how did we get onto this from deity? I don't know. (laughs) But I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, I think a lot of concepts we just talked about could be definitely another episode that we can extrapolate on. So, um, any closing remarks at all or I don't really have anything um, if the viewers have you know their opinion on what what deity means to them or just a, a question a general question or concern or request or complaint you can always email us emails you know down there yep. in Baptist the description as well Is that, so that's Baptist and Buddhist at gmail.com yeah, or, or you can hit us up on, it, yeah, or you can hit us up on Facebook or um, leave reviews on YouTube or uh, or whatever podcast uh, podcast app you're listening to, um, and we might if we see it we might uh we might mention it or respond. So, yeah, Baptist and Buddhist at gmail dot com. Awesome. Well, I think that's gonna do it for today. Um, thank you for uh, coming on and talking about it. Um, and I guess we're going to, yeah, yes, it's been fun. Um, I think we're going to get into some more interesting topics, um, for the next few episodes. I'm, I'll, I'll hit you up on, uh, what next (laughs) topic will be, but yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you everyone for watching and listening to uh, the Baptist and the Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And we will, we will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. See ya.